These are your hosts, Raven, Mike, and Ben. You are listening to the Criminal Justice Junkies. Today's episode is on processing issues in the criminal justice system, but first, let's paint a picture. Imagine you're stopped by the police and thrown into pretrial detention on the claim of domestic violence. Welcome to the criminal justice system. Now, you may wonder, what is this going to be like? How am I going to get out? If I was you, I would be thinking the same thing, because the criminal justice system is a wild ride. Pre-trial detention is basically where you are held before your trial. In pre-trial detention, you will soon be given bail or kept in jail if you cannot meet the given price. Your bail price will depend on a few factors. Risk of fleet, danger to the public, and race. Bail price can vary based on race? That's right. Actually, according to the Cordoy Journal of Economics, the average bail for black defendants is $7,281 higher than for white defendants. Yikes. That's a significant amount for anyone to pay. Yes, and if you think that is bad, there is also a great amount of bias with pretrial detention. Scott Colbert, a criminal defense attorney in Delaware County, was extremely aware of the bias and provided me with a key example. Times when the judge is uh, setting pretrial bond for pretrial detention or bail, uh, they hear the alleged facts from somebody in the in the courtroom, either a police officer or a prosecutor or somebody who works for the prosecutor's office, and tells the judge more or less what they they're being accused of. Yeah, including the horrible facts. Uh, very messy things, and these are all allegations yet at this point. So mm-hmm. uh, judges get to hear really bad facts and then use those to decide um, how much money to set for, for bail. And uh, that's unfortunate because, as you know and you're probably being taught, we're all supposed to be innocent yeah. until proven guilty. However, uh, the pretrial detention phase is kind of a jump toward guilt um, yeah, because they're like feeling that it's whole jail feeling when they're not even accused of anything. Also, you know, the um, judges are just people too, yeah. right? And we all have emotions, and certain things that we hear can cause a serious reaction. Uh, and it's different with different people, of course. So it's sometimes when judges hear things like there was a gun involved or there were drugs involved, yeah. the judge will get angry and uh, uh, or keep the bond high post a high bond. If the, if the person has been in front of the judge a lot of times, sometimes they'll set a high bond just because they're furious with them. I've had clients that didn't act the way that the court wanted them to, and um, which is no fault of my client because yeah. they're in a serious problem and they need a little bit of attention. Wait, so the judges are blindly setting bail based on prior cases, cases and evidence which may not be all that accurate? You're right, and on top of that, the court exemplifies clear bias against the poor. Real clear policy and organization writing articles on the domestic policy of the U.S. actually states, Furthermore, the justice system is already incredibly biased towards and arguably designed against the poor, the criminalization of poverty, as former Attorney General Loretta Lynch calls it. It is a rampant. Just because they are poor doesn't mean they should be set up to fail. Yeah, I agree. Continuing with your case. Say you were just given bail and the judge is willing to let you out. Will you be able to afford the bail and get out of pretrial detention? 
or will you not be able to afford the bail and hire a bondsman? Now, the majority of people cannot afford bail, which is one of the main reasons someone is stuck in pretrial detention. Is it possible for someone to be acquitted after sitting in pretrial detention because of their bail? Yes, Mr. Colbert actually had a specific example of this in Delaware County. Here it is. I had a trial in Delaware where a guy was arrested in January. He couldn't post bond. We finally had his trial in August. He sat in the jail the entire time. We went to trial, 10 days of trial. At the end, he was acquitted. That means he was free to go. After eight months in the jail, yeah. he, just, he actually got in a car and drove away. He just went home, went home to California. <laughs> so it's not fair. And that's why you're, I think, doing this yeah. report is because you, you think we all see that cash bond is not fair. Yeah. It, does, it, it mostly affects poor people. There's another aspect that we have to consider, too, with criminal behavior and yeah. bond, and that's the mental health issue, right? Okay, so say you get out of pretrial detention. What are some of the long-term effects you're looking at? There's a good chance you will lose your job if you are away for an extended period of time. You will most likely return to jail and be lost in the outside world. Here's what Scott had to say about this. August, September, October, November, that's five months in jail. Right? You can't keep a job. You can't keep an apartment. Mm-hmm. You can't keep a car. You know, you can't pay your bills, so you lose everything. Yeah. And you come out, and they don't have any kind of a system set up for you, like for schooling or training yeah. or anything. You're just basically released and left to your own. Yeah. It's, unf- it's really... Too bad. I feel like they should take a step to help the victims out that are coming out. Because Because why? So, after you get out, you're going to want to get help in order to return to your normal life. Yes, that is true, Raven, but that's one of the problems. There is not much access to help for the people affected. But this is just one aspect of the processing issues in the criminal justice system. During your trial in the criminal justice system, many cases are based on forensic evidence. To start off, in a video on TED Talk, Ruth Morgan, a director of the Center for Forensic Sciences, stated in 96% of the cases, the forensic evidence was misinterpreted. Imagine being one of those people who are falsely convicted based on misinterpreted evidence. I can't. So what are specific types of evidence that lead to false convictions? Some examples are eyewitnesses, false confessions, and unreliable forensic evidence. Wait, tell me more about eyewitnesses not being extremely accurate. Well, I read this article by Greg Hurley, who holds a certificate from the National Institute of Trial Advocacy called The Trouble with Eyewitness Identification Testimony in Criminal Cases. In this article, he stated that a human's memory is one of the most unreliable forms of evidence. Well, if someone doesn't have a good memory, then I don't want to be the deciding factor of my evidence deciding if I'm guilty or not. Me either, Mike. Exactly. Because eyewitnesses don't always have good memories and can have implicit bias, they do not make for an accurate piece of evidence. However, they are still being used in the justice system. Wait, did you just say implicit bias? Yes, I did. How does implicit bias affect this, what, we have, what we're talking about? Well, when a person gives a testimony... They may think they remember some details that they saw during the crime. Their brain may even make things up as to what they saw. The implicit bias comes in 
When this eyewitness picks who they think committed the crime out of a lineup, the bystander may be more subconsciously inclined to choose an elderly person or a colored person over a white person. So this bias obviously creates a problem when the evidence is presented in front of a jury then. Yes, it does create an issue in, co- in a court. Just imagine you're in a courtroom because you someone made a testimony and claims they saw you at the crime scene. Who's to say that the bystander's memory is wrong? As you stated above, it sounds like an eyewitness' ten- memory tends to be wrong. And witness tends to have bias towards who they might choose in a lineup. That is correct. Now, Mike, can you explain what happens once the defendant gets into the actual courtroom in front of the jury? And does any bias affect the jurors like it affects the eyewitness's statement? Going to trial is the third step in the process of convicting someone in the justice system. Naturally, your trial will be assigned to a jury. Now, a jury consists of 12 jurors selected through a process called buyer dire to eliminate potential jurors who are biased. So, wouldn't that mean that this process is perfect? Yes, Raven, in theory, but such a process can't stop all bias and create the perfect neutral juror. Oftentimes, the jury will still have implicit bias from previous experiences. Wait, isn't having implicit bias in a jury a bad thing? Well, yes, we don't want to see the defendant getting an advantage or disadvantage based on factors non the case. I see what you mean. So seeing if the jury likes you or not can affect their verdict on you? Yes, exactly, Raven. Whether or not the jury likes the defendant can play a huge role in their verdict. But, I mean, there are many factors ranging from your attire and your court date, the way you look, or even the color of your skin. The color of your skin seems to be a common one in this whole project. Yes. Mark W. Bennett, a former judge and current professor at Drake University, conducted a test to see jurors' bias between white and black defendants. Jurors were tasked to see who they choose faster, a black criminal or white criminal. And results show that jurors reacted faster to shooting a black criminal than a white one. Well, what does this have to do with jurors being biased towards defendants? Well, I mean, Raven, I wouldn't be surprised to see a juror behaving the same way towards a white defendant or a black one. So, a juror would be more likely to claim a black defendant guilty than a white one. Wait, that's not fair. That's out of the defendant's control, Mike. Well, that's not all, Ben. Jury service requires jurors to take time off their jobs, many of which can cause harm to their incomes. And who's to say a jury or juror might not try to give their full attention to the case in hopes of rushing the process? I actually remember an example of that from 12 Angry Men, when Juror 3 tried to get their verdict over quickly and rushed the case. Oh yeah, good connection. See, the juror wasn't giving the defendant a fair chance, and if he had his way, the jury would have had their verdict just like that. And truthfully, jurors aren't even allowed to discuss evidence before it's all presented to avoid making premature verdicts. Well, what do you mean by making a premature verdict? Well, an article written by Henry Chilton goes over this very well. The article states that evidence could portray the jury to believe guilty or not guilty, right? But what if all of a sudden the jury has presented evidence to make them believe otherwise? That's why they are not allowed making that's why they are not allowed discussing evidence before it's all presented. Now, think of all the infinite information that you just learned. Not only does this processing issue occur all across America, but these things are happening right down the road. Yep, because who's to say these situations wouldn't happen to you? And what would you guys do if these issues affected you? Honestly, I would not know how to react. Be careful and stay educated on the criminal justice system.